0: Hi, my name is Sterling. I live in San Francisco and I grew up in Money Earning, Mount Vernon, New York, and I'm passionate about education.
1: Hi, my name is Ellen. Um, I am currently in Budapest, Hungary, and my hometown is the beautiful city of South Bend, Indiana. Something I'm passionate about right now is uh, data privacy and protection
2: rights on the internet. Hi, and my name is Jessica Kalut, and I live in the windy city of Chicago, but I'm originally from the suburbs of Bolton Brook, the Dirty 630. Um, I am really passionate about uh, student debt reform and art and music.
0: And welcome to the map. You've just heard a multitude of cities and time zones that we currently live in and we take with us that have made us into who we are now and who we'll become. We started this podcast, The Map, as a way to share our different perspectives across different locations, as well as how to map out a more sustainable and equitable future for both ourselves and our community. From music, art, and politics, to food and technology, we want to bring together discourse on the things that are important to us and the people around us. So let's have some fun. First off, we're going to kick it off with something that we all love to talk about um, we're always listening to something, whether it's a good song or album or podcast or audiobook. So let's kick it off with Jess, Ellen, what's in your earbuds today?
1: Ooh, so that's usually a tough question because, as you both know, I listen to kind of a variety of music, but I've been really on this train lately um, in the past week with Selena throwbacks. Um, watching our live concerts, Como La Flor, um, and then I kind of just been getting lost in that, listening to Manu Chao's albums over again, um, a little bit of Calle Trece, Um, but then also with Bill Withers passing a few days ago, I've been going back kind of in that stream and listening to a lot of his stuff so yeah i am kind of all over but that's where i'm at this week
0: <laughs>
2: nice what's in my earbuds today um yeah i'm really getting over the place um like today was a really busy day at work so um i usually like to listen to a lot of lo-fi when i'm working so i pretty much had um, playing all day um but it's not that the past couple of days too i've been listening to a lot of as Klein podcasts <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love Ezra Klein. Um, the great thing about the Ezra Klein podcast, just to say, it, is that they're like an hour and thirty minutes long, and so you could just listen to the five of them, and like, then your whole day's done. <laughs> um, in my earbuds today, it's something I've been going back to all week: is Mariah Carey's Butterfly album.
1: Oh, wow. um,
0: it is. It, so it came out in 1997 and you can tell how the world of like pop and R&B was definitely shaped in that mirror. Um, it's just a fantastic album. And it, it's just like it's I think it's one of Mariah Carey's best because um, she's blending hip hop. And, like, R&B, Quiet Storm, in just the perfect way. Some 90s nostalgia. Yeah, I think the 90s, I mean, of course, we were all born then, so we're biased. But I think that the 90s produced some of the best music um, in the American music catalog. Yeah,
2: 90s R&B, 90s hip-hop like, it can do no wrong. And Honey on the Butterfly album was a bop.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the roof breakdown, also very good. All right. So, now that we know what we're listening to, let's move into what's on the map today.
1: So, since we're both a little bit about it- each of us is that we all met in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, and kind of recently in the news, uh, especially today, is Wisconsin had their primary elections, um, much contested due to the outbreak of the coronavirus. Um, so we're gonna talk a little bit about what we know about Milwaukee and Wisconsin, um, kind of coming of a place of familiarity, um, and what we think about just being millennials in different locations and kind of trying to navigate politics at this really unknown time. So Sterling and Jess, I guess I'll open up to you. Um, Kind of what's your opinion about having this election today in Wisconsin? Um, Do you think it was kind of a partisan move uh, on part of the Republicans to push forward? Or do you think it was in the best
2: interest that they did have this election? Oh, I, I mean, I think it was definitely a partisan move on the Republican Party's end. Um, there were, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the only state that has a primary coming up that hasn't pushed or didn't um, encourage absentee, absentee voting. Um, and obviously, you know, like it's so close to Chicago where we're uh, quickly approaching the peak of the virus. Um, so it just kind of shocks me that, um, that there wasn't any... Um, Like precautions taken um, and putting the health of the general public first before this primary election when there's other options.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely agree, and I think that um, it was just kind of telling in the way that the last week has kind of unfolded, where um, you have the Democratic governor saying no, we're not going to have it, and then you have other states um, like Indiana. Uh, which is Republican, which has already pushed back their primaries. Um, And I think it's also important to like one of the distinctions in this case was that there were a lot of local elections um, taking place today. Um, And I think that played a major role um, in kind of deciding to, to push it back or to have it for today.
0: Yeah, I don't, I feel a little bit torn on this just because I felt like I wasn't as informed about all of the intricacies on it as I would have liked to have been. And then I also have just been really thinking about um, giving everyone the benefit of the doubt in a way that I don't normally. So uh, what I mean by that is I think that the this COVID-19 is um, an unprecedented moment in our history no one who is alive right now has worked or 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 really lived like in a time like this um, like with a pandemic in our country at this scale and I don't know, I I spend my days at work now like talking to government agencies and people who are uh, community organizers and political organizers. And everyone's really uh, stressed right now. Everyone is really overworked right now. And no one really knows the best thing to do because they've never done it before. And I think a lot of people are trying to do the best they can with the best information they have on site right now so
1: but i think with the information we do have on hand it's pretty telling that we do need to social distance and that's even to lower the curve yeah absolutely and by you know putting people in a situation where they're not social distancing i think that's putting a community at risk and it's kind of telling voters we don't care about your health, um, and also it's telling voters that we don't really care if you show up or not. Um, and I think one of the, one of the statistics from Milwaukee was um, how many polling stations they had to close because a large number of the people running these polling stations are senior citizens. Um, and in Milwaukee alone, uh, they went just they went down to five polling stations, and usually it's about one hundred and eighty. And Milwaukee, um, as we all know, we've lived there, I think has struggled with getting all of the community engaged in voting. Um, And this just really hampers it more. Um, So it's hard not to see the partisan end of it, Um, especially, you know, as Trump has criticized it originally. And then you see this quick change and then the non-extension of absentee ballots. So it's kind of difficult to justify. I do think
0: the... the not extending absentee ballots seems like a very easy thing that they could have done and not allowing that seems like it was, it was intentional, but I'm thinking of it from the perspective of when you compare this to the Republican governor, governor of Ohio, um, Mike DeWine actually did postpone the elections, Right. Um, and people were actually very upset at him for doing that, and said that that was voter disenfranchisement. So I I wonder if the Wisconsin Supreme Court had a a knee jerk reaction to that sort of media uh, feedback and thought that um, they were ch- they were doing the right thing in this instance, even though they're very different situations, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think that that kind of, again, leads to another problem that we're facing is that a Supreme court and a justice system is afraid of a media reaction and that's affecting their decision-making. Um, and I think that's very telling of kind of the climate now that we're living in, in American politics where media is a driving force in policy when it shouldn't be.
2: Yeah. And quite frankly, too, like kind of back off of that, you know, um, at the end of the day, the whole point of media is to be essentially, a so if you're truly firm in your belief that the decision that you're making as a policymaker or someone within um, politics, I just don't see why you would be, you shouldn't be dissuaded to make a decision based on a media reaction if you know the decision is the right one.
0: yeah, that that's a good point. I think what I am trying to discern right now is who knows what the right decision is. There's certainly there's certainly a lot of really bad problems with the decision that they made um, for a public health perspective. But because we don't have a, a precedent for this. I, I think it still is an open open-ended question on, on how we know what is like the best way to go go about this. And I think it's a very distinct difference from the very obvious uh, voter disenfranchisement that um, the state of Wisconsin and the former governor Scott Walker and that whole, whole government um, took place on with voter ID laws to disenfranchise uh, black and brown communities, older uh, older citizens as well as um, as well as uh, immigrants who are our citizens and able to vote. So I do think that uh, there are tricky, tricky situations in this case, And where I'm usually ready to go, I'm ready to, like, ring the bell on voter disenfranchisement and uh, obstruction of justice and people doing Machiavellian things just to gain power, this situation made me pause and think a little bit about, okay, what is really going on here and, like, are people actually able to make the best decisions that they possibly can and I know we have to like think more of our like lawmakers but uh I do think it's a really tough time for everyone individually and and collectively um
1: yeah but I mean I think that that kind of justification also is like a very fine line because then you can say that people and leaders were acting because this is a situation no one has ever seen before. So they were overstepping their bounds that they normally would and making decisions um, that normally wouldn't be made. And we have to question these decisions that are they doing them in the best interest or are they doing them because of other motives? And I mean, let's take away the coronavirus from the situation. If Milwaukee, we'll just use Milwaukee, if they say a few days before election that we're going to go from a hundred and what was it 80 poll stations to only five, Um, you know, would we still have the election on Tuesday? That's kind of unheard of. I mean, regardless of coronavirus Um, that makes you question, how is this, you know, a democratic system of voting and, you know, how are people going to get there to vote on like compounded with the problem that many people face with voter ID and, taking off work, um, or like getting to a station. Um, so I think it's, it's, I don't know, it's an unknown time where people don't have all the information and we, yeah, we don't have the best decision making or we don't know the best decisions, but also I think, it, I mean, especially from coming from Hungary now and seeing how things are run here, democracy can like very quickly lead to an, autocratic system um, where you just slowly begin taking away rights, especially in times of emergency.
0: That's a really good point, Ellen. I I do think that it's really important that we do talk about these issues and we engage all of our, our law, lawmakers in them and that other states are Aware of the consequences of, of decisions like this so that we can make sure that we're not heading into that direction.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was so, gonna say, I, I think, think it's going to be yeah. interesting to see in the upcoming weeks because I think who's, what, what primaries are next? I think it's like um, Ohio, I think is next, right? Um, Wyoming i think nebraska i know indiana somewhere and in well indiana? no actually indiana's in june you actually I think now. yeah so okay. i don't know. yeah so it'll just be i think it'll be interesting because i know that a few states have postponed um but it'll be interesting to see kind of how the next how the states respond to kind of what happened in wisconsin today um and i think that'll be very telling because i think if we find ourselves in a situation where this happens again, then it's, then it really isn't about not knowing what to do in a pandemic when you kind of essentially have a game plan from other states, Totally,
0: totally. I think, I think now moving forward, we have to, we have to incite uh, the iconic and wonderful Maya Angelou here, which is uh, when you know better, you do better. And now our states know better, and so that they should do better. And let's let's hope for that. But <laughs> given all of those things, uh, I wonder how coronavirus and just moving forward, um, political engagement will be impacted, particularly uh, for our generation. So the the what are we the twenty seven to to 39 year olds the millennials what what do we think that political engagement of millennials will look like moving forward you know we're no longer the new kids on the block as uh, gen z enters the voting stratosphere and so i think this will be an interesting time uh upcoming the up uh, with the upcoming 2020 election um In Wisconsin alone, Millennials and Gen Z projected to make up 36% of the electorate in the state. And a 2019 Pew Research study found that uh, Millennials casted 26.1 million votes in the 2018 midterm elections, which is far higher than the number of votes uh, we cast in 2014, around uh, 13.7 million.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it's hard to say because I think millennials were very, we're a very diverse group of, of a diverse generation. Um, we've grown up with a lot of trauma, um, whether it's from the recession, um, September 11, and just kind of really seeing politics be bad our whole lives. Um, the failures of kind of our foreign foreign policy, and so I think. I mean, for me, I know at least I was kind of a little bit disillusioned by the 2016 election. Um, Wait, what happened I kind in 2016 of 2016 like, <laughs> um, I mean, this... <laughs> <kind> of, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and it wasn't so much Trump that really, like, got me. I mean, obviously, like, that was kind of the nail in the coffin at the end of it. But just going to the election booth and having clinton and trump as my options and thinking that we live in such a large country with so many dumb and brilliant people and these were our only two options and i'm and you're just kind of seeing it repeat again right now and that's what worries me about millennials going to the election booth is this repeat of what we saw four years ago and it seems like no one really learned their lessons when we're like give us a viable candidate and like why aren't we getting good candidates out there I don't get it. I still don't get it. Um, Yeah, that's what kind of my fear is a little bit going into the election again. Um, And let's say, you know, it's Biden and Trump. Um, I don't think people are going to be very excited. It's going to be a like, what's
2: who's worst situation? Yeah, I don't. That's like a definite fear, because in 2016, I think, you know, interestingly enough, I think Bernie Sanders really did promote and foster this like, political activism amongst millennials. I mean, similar to kind of, like, how Obama was. Like, when he first ran, you know, a lot of us weren't old enough to vote, but his second election was exciting for me. It was the first time I got to vote, um, and I was very, very engaged. Um, And then again, in 2016, Bernie Sanders made me excited um, to vote. Like, it felt like real change. I felt very... um, I felt like I felt kind of hopeful for our government. Um, And then to see that he didn't win the nomination, um, I think disheartened a lot of young people. Um, I feel like they felt like they weren't heard and that they felt like the establishment was still the same establishment it's always been and that things wouldn't change and that their vote didn't matter. And because of it, they were very much like Bernie or bust and these things don't matter and um, who we elect won't matter. And obviously in the last three years, that's proven to be not the case. Um, and I sometimes I just kind of wonder if like, that'll be the case this coming cycle, um, especially everything that's going on with the COVID crisis.
0: Well, that brings up an interesting question, Jess, which is... You know we've talked a little bit about this. What? What was that? Oh shoot! Did you hear that?
2: Like bang! I think that was me. I'm was sorry, saying. guys. It's my. Oh, <laughs> no, it's okay. I thought,
0: <laughs> I thought we. Um, I don't know. I thought we like timed out on the podcast. I thought they were about oh, to kick us out. so sorry. Um, no,
2: my iMessage is attached to my computer, so. <laughs>
0: All good. All good. So we talked a little bit about this, about, you know, we don't have a good a good candidate, but let's maybe not name the candidates. Let's think a little bit more abstractly for a minute. What are the traits of of a good presidential candidate or 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 good elected official that you want to vote for? Like, what are those character traits? What are those experiences that we want? And then after that, like, why do we think that we don't have that candidate? Um, anyone have any thoughts on that?
1: I mean, for me, the, I guess it would be a candidate that, who embodies the issues I care about. Um, so for me, climate change is a very big issue. Yeah. And I think their policies should reflect that um, in both taxations of industries that don't fall in line with trying to be carbon neutral or um, with or just promoting new green industries. Um, and I think really just investing back in the American people, and that's so oversaid in, by politicians, but actually like really meaning that, um, and that means like infrastructure and education and health. And it's really We're not most. complicated, I think, with most money I want, like, including myself. Like, it's just, like, a basic standard, you know, protection, like, whether it's safety or, like, the ability to go to a good school and afford it and um, to have, you know, good food on your table and your parents have a livable oh. wage and then you can grow up and have a livable wage. So um, I think really – I don't know. I mean, if a candidate can just do that, but again, it's not just the candidate running for president. There's different pieces. You know, it's the Supreme Court, it's Congress, it's Senate, it's local government. So I think in that way, too, I I feel in a few ways disillusioned by the whole thing, Um, because we all have to kind of, like, collectively decide that these things are
2: important for them to change, it feels like. yeah, I think you raised like a really good point too. Like, you also mentioned local <laughs> government. Like, I, I wonder, like, widespread, you know, what the engagement of millennials within their local, local government is, um, because that's really where it starts. Um, because at the end of the day, how do you ensure that, you know, how do you ensure that the people who are running for president Um, know about the issues that the everyday person faces. And usually, like, that starts at a local level. But if, you know, the general population isn't engaged in those areas, how would, like, how would they know? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, you know, you bring up a, a really good point about local government, which is, it's not only where it starts, but it also is where leaders get made. And, Uh, You know, I'm thinking about in San Francisco, uh, Mayor London Breed, who uh, has been elected to office quite recently, and I think it's been really incredible to see her leadership uh, throughout this crisis, like at every step of the way. um, She has been ahead of the curve on social distancing and uh, communicating with the community and and um, encouraging people to stay at home um, and sharing all of those best practices. And so when I think about a, a candidate that, an ideal candidate for me, I want you to understand the communities that you're representing. And when you're representing a city like San Francisco, uh, it is diverse, like no matter what, uh, you might see on the Patagonia ads Uh, it is diverse Um, and it's it's vibrant but there's also deep issues of inequity and racism and poverty and so uh, yeah I need you to be able to build relationships with the big tech companies in the Bay but I also need you to understand gentrification here i need you to go into the inner richmond i need you to go into bayview i need you to, to go into all of these all these different communities and understand all of their needs and and listen to people and so i do think that um a local government is one one uh, sort of avenue i think we don't engage a lot in like i think about about julian castro um and how he rose to political stardom um, by being the mayor of los angeles and by doing great work there and so and so maybe maybe the key is that uh we need more more doers more more local government doers and we need to like be saying be elevating like those voices so that they can get to the next stage of their political careers if if they do represent our values right and if they don't they don't but if they do like let's raise them up
1: yeah i i mean coming from south bend and you know we have mayor pete now who has made south bend a more recognizable name um besides people just in the Midwest. I mean, he really kind of has demonstrated the power of local politics for me on a personal level. um, I, you know, downtown South Bend was empty factories and storefronts with no businesses. And now if you go downtown, the factories are gone for the first time in 50 years Um, You know, stores are coming. Industry is coming. People are the population for the first time is growing. And yeah, I mean, I definitely have criticisms of him. And there's things I don't agree with all the time. But I mean, just having someone with a different perspective and bringing in special specialists and people who want to improve a city, it makes all the difference. Um, and Indiana is a red state, but it kind of felt like we had our own little bubble going for a while and still now just because of good local government. And I think Chicago, that's like another one that Jesse you're definitely more familiar with, but, but we're all kind of somewhat familiar with and kind of the power of good local government and how kind of, overlooked over elections often are but we don't really realize and i've been coming to realize how much local government does and how much they can affect your life and it's actually really important um and i think it's something that we often don't pay attention to as much as we should
0: totally
1: But then, yeah, I mean, I guess this goes back to the Wisconsin election um, and how, you know, sheriffs and mayors and um, I think there was a Wisconsin Supreme Court as well um, today that was voted for. um, Kind of how important these things are and why people need to show up to
0: vote. Yeah, which is hard to do in a uh, pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) Well. Any other closing thoughts? Uh, I think one thing that might be fun to do is, you know, let's let's think about what is one thing or let's make it really fun, right? <laughs> let's say we uh, get out of this all safe and alive. We all love traveling, and uh, we haven't even really been able to go past the block um, in the past month. And that's fine, because we're doing it for the collective well-being of our communities um, and public health best practices. And that's what we should be doing. But when this is all over where's one place you want to go? And maybe it's just to your favorite coffee shop or maybe it's to another country, but I think it would be fun for us to, to close out with where we hope to go in the future. I personally would be <laughs> really interested. excited to go back to <laughs> New Orleans um I went to New Orleans Ooh. for the first time two years ago for Jazz Ooh. Fest. And oh my gosh, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Uh just all the music, all the food, all the people. Um I love New Orleans. Um I you could definitely make a meme about me, like goes to New Orleans once, like calls it Nolan's. Like <laughs> I'm I'm so annoying with like how much we talk about New Orleans for only being there one time, but it is one of those places that just, like, is unlike any other place in this country and, like, in the world.
2: Honestly, NOLA is great. Like, NOLA, Mm. to me, when I went, it felt like, like, my auntie gave me this, like, really warm hug. Like, the food is good. The people are so much fun. Um there's just a lot there's like a spirit in nola that just doesn't compare to anywhere else in the united states so it's really, I I actually...
1: that was a very good pick sterling i think that embodies like a lot of things we're missing right now too
0: <laughs> yeah literally food and music and just like people
1: <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Okay, mine would be um, bringing it back to Chicago and I would go first, I would have, I'm just every single day I'm in Hungary, I miss Mexican food. So first I would have, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe a meal on Pilsen or something and then go to Kingston Mines at night um, with friends and Kingston Mines is this blues um bar and they have live music every night and it's like fifteen dollars. Hopefully it's still fifteen dollars to get in, but it's amazing blues from people who have been playing their whole lives. And um oh, I just miss live music so much. And like that kind of authentic like, small space, live music. Mm-hmm. Um having an IPA
2: that would be great night. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh oh, I love Kings and Minds. <laughs> God such a good
0: I've never been. I
2: gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's, wor- you'll it. it's worth you'll love it. It's worth it. For sure. Um, ooh, okay. Where would I wanna go? Because now I feel yeah. I'm ready to go everywhere. Um, but there is this coffee shop that I do love um that's in my neighborhood. It's called Ipsento and they just have really great coffee. Um, and I love the environment. Um and it's like right off the six oh six. Um, so, like, the weather is really nice and you can just, like, have your coffee outside um, and the people are really, really nice. Um, I just, like, I miss that simple pleasure of, like, going on the blue line, going to get my yes. coffee and just, like, enjoying my city. Oh, um, oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Um. So, that'll probably be the first <laughs> thing that I do. Um. And then I I had travel plans. I really wanted to go to Spain in August. So... Um, obviously I haven't booked my ticket, but if that's still plausible, I'm definitely doing that. Um, I would like to go to Barcelona. Um, and then if I have time, I want to go to Bordeaux. Oh,
1: wow. Wow. Okay. Be a great trip. (laughs) And it's interesting. Like, I think Barcelona is kind of this random city in Europe that doesn't really fit Spain and doesn't necessarily fit Europe in the same way that New Orleans is kind of like that in the US. It doesn't exactly like fit, like it works a little bit, but not exactly. It's its own thing. Um, So
0: those are good picks for sure. Yeah. I wanna um, finish us off with one of my favorite uh, Tennessee, uh, Tennessee Williams quotes. There are only three great cities in the US New York, San Francisco, and Washington. All the rest are Cleveland. (laughs) What? That's great. (laughs) <laughs> wait a minute wait 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 that's actually oh wait that's actually the fake oh. quote. wait oh my god that's a fake quote that is a fake quote the the real quote no. the one i was actually referencing is america has only three great cities new york san francisco and new orleans everywhere else is cleveland um I'm so sorry. I just, like, I just screwed it's up that nice. Oh, my God. I said it so confidently. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh gosh, <laughs> gosh, thank you.
2: Not, in there. not even just because I'm from there, but I think Chicago is one of the best cities in, like, literally, I was sitting... Um, yes. and I was, yeah. it was the man wasn't even talking to me he was like talking to somebody else but I like I literally turned around and he was like absolutely sir and he was like yeah I know Chicago is the best city in the country like the reason why people don't come here is because it's cold but you have, you have to earn it he's like rent is reasonable exactly. the food is good the people are nice it's easy to get around it's just the cold he's like Chicago is not meant for the weed mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Yes, you only like mm-hmm. get to enjoy this Chicago if you weather the winter. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I felt like that. Tennessee Williams <laughs> yeah. was a little bit of a <laughs> Midwest. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <Any> of <things? laughs> well, is Tennessee Williams from Ten- where is he from? Oh, he's I from said, I well, he's from Mississippi. Probably New York. Okay. Or, yeah. <laughs> okay (laughs) Okay, you're like oh that's that's fine yeah (laughs) um all right y'all thanks for putting everything on the map today talk to you soon Thanks. (laughs) thanks bye